This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead. This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Today, I've got Pooja here with me. She's going to tell us all about her experience in investing in real estate in Austin. Hey, Pooja, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you doing? Doing great. So can you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what your experience is like with real estate investing or how you were involved with real estate investing here in Austin? Yeah, so um, my background is in marketing and strategy and operations. And so um, I had worked at Deloitte Consulting for about four years um, and then went to business school. I had actually come back to Deloitte and then um, found that my passion was really kind of on the, the marketing side of things. And so I left and moved to Hershey, Pennsylvania and joined the Hershey Company. And I did brand strategy there for Hershey Kisses, innovation. It was a lot of fun. Um, I was with them for about five years. And right around the time when I had my first kid, um, it was kind of the, okay, what do I want to do? It was um, you know, a new journey, um, a new stage in life for us. And at that time, my husband had also just finished his um, fellowship and you know, now he, was, he had a, a full-time job. And so um, I was talking to my brother, he was in the real estate business and, you know, we had, my husband and I had always wanted to get involved in some way, but, um, I couldn't leave my full-time job while he was studying. Um, and so this just happened to be the right time. And my brother's like, why don't you come work for us? Um, and, and not have to work for somebody else. And I thought, okay, let me, they needed someone in marketing. I was like, okay, let me give this a try. If I don't like it, I can always leave. Um, and so here I am many years later, um, and I have worn many hats um, throughout the part in real estate. I started off doing a lot of the, the marketing side of things, and then slowly, um, you know, then I started to do the operations. I had, you know, the background in that as well. And then from there, I also have now done a lot of the asset management. So I've touched a lot of different pieces um, of, of the business. Awesome. So you mentioned your brother there. What does your brother do in real estate? So he does the underwriting. Um, and then he also, he does kind of more of like the finance side of things. And so he okay. has the relationships with the brokers and with the lenders. And so he kind of works on the acquisition side. Cool. So are we talking multifamily syndication or yes. syndication of, okay. Yeah, yep, awesome. multifamily. Um, and you, you said you had a kid and you you quit your job after that. When was that? So we actually moved to, so we went from Hershey to Charlotte, North Carolina. I was actually still working with the company and just working kind of more as like the consultant side of things. Um, and they kind of knew that, you know, this was, this was a remote position, but it wouldn't be long-term. And they knew I was looking for something else. And yeah. around that time, um, my husband also got an offer to come to Austin. Um, and so at that point I was looking for a job there and I said, well, if I'm looking for a job here, we're going to stay in Charlotte. Um, but then when I started talking to my brother and I decided, okay, I'm going to try out the real estate, then it didn't really matter where we lived. And that's actually part of the reason why then we, we decided to make the move to Austin. Um, 
you know, a little nervous at first because Charlotte is a fantastic city, but um, I would say that Austin has a lot of similar qualities to Charlotte. So it didn't take long to, um, for us to fall in love with the city. Absolutely. There's a few cities in the South or Southeast that, that get this, some of the similar attention to, to Austin or Nashville, Charlotte, Raleigh, um, Tampa, stuff like that. But absolutely. Charlotte's a great place. Um, so that's awesome. So you're involved in multifamily syndication. Um, you did after your child was born and it sounds like your brother's been involved in it for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he started probably gosh, four years before I even joined. So he had the company. Um, and we, uh, so I, I kind of joined and kind of learned the ropes from him. And then, you know, I, I started to teach the team a little bit more about marketing because that was more of my background and my expertise. Um, nice. So it was nice. It was nice to be able to blend some of the stuff because I'd only worked at big corporations and, mm -hmm. um, you know, this is now flexing a different muscle. So that was kind of cool to say, okay, you know, we used to have millions and millions of dollars in marketing budgets, but uh, definitely had to scale that back. And then, so honestly, I had to roll up my sleeves and then do some of it myself that I typically would have an agency do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's a great skill to bring to multifamily syndication is being able to market you know, and, and just make your image look a lot better. So <clears throat> um, you invest in the Austin area too, right? Yeah. So we have properties in like the Dallas Fort Worth area. We mm -hmm. have properties in Jacksonville, Orlando. And then our most recent acquisition was actually in Austin. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So why Austin? You know, I think we all hear all this craziness that's going on. Of Everything's a three to five cap. Um, every house has 50 offers on it. It's insane. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I invest here too. So I, I understand why I want to invest here. But why do you choose to invest in Austin? Yeah. So, um, you know, when we, with, with my company, JT Capital, you know, we, two of the partners actually live in this area. Um, so my partner actually lives like three minutes from, from where mm -hmm. I live. And so part of it, obviously it's really nice to be able to buy property in your backyard. Right. Yeah. Um, but we also know that with Austin, the, like the economy is growing, you know, people, the population, there's a lot of migration here. Um, you know, people are saying it's like the, the second tech hub, it's going to be like the new San Francisco at some point. So we believe in the city. We just mm -hmm. see it growing so much. Um, I mean, even when I moved here a couple years ago, I had not really heard anything bad about the city, right? Everybody that I talked to was like, oh, you're moving to Austin. That's great you know, we visited or we love it. And you kind of hear a lot of that. But then now that I'm here, I also see it and I see the expansion. Mm -hmm. um, since we've been here, just we've seen like the, the development has grown significantly. And we're seeing all of these new builds happening. So a lot of what people are saying, you know, I see it on a daily basis as we're driving. And then when it comes to multifamily and now with COVID and everything that's happened and you see everybody moving here and the demand for housing is just insane, mm -hmm. um, you know, we decided to make the move. Now, one thing that we are seeing, and I'm sure you're seeing this as well, is it's hard to find a good asset here. Um, just because the pricing and the cap rates are so low. So we've looked at a lot of deals. We've made offers. Um, but, you know, we we want to be patient. Um, and so we still think that Austin's a great area. I think it's just really hard to find um, the right price with the cap rate so low. 
Yeah, um, and I mostly work on the residential side, but you really see that if you're looking to buy some sort of asset in Austin, you need to be comfortable taking a long time, losing a ton of offers, and then eventually you'll get something. I've never not seen somebody get something, but it takes a long time, takes a lot of persistence. And I know that's hard with any sort of commercial property where you're fighting against the same number of people and money from all over the world trying to get into Austin. And for all the great reasons that everybody loves Austin, I think we do too. So no, that's, yeah. that's a really cool point there. Um, sorry, it sounds like there's a big plane going outside. <laughs> perks of living close to the airport i guess so, um so where is this deal in austin you just did i am in east austin here hence the plane noises so not too far from the airport usually not yeah. that loud but this is um this is right around like um the wells branch parkway so okay. close like very close to the domain so it's oh, what wow. we liked about it is it was just very centrally located Mm -hmm. um, so you had easy access to a lot of the large employers. Mm -hmm. You were situated next to the highways. Um, and then there's just a lot of like the shopping and good restaurants. And so it was a pretty good location. Yeah. Apple, the soccer stadium going in. There's so much being Everything. developed up there. It's crazy. It's amazing. Like, so where, where I live, it's farmland and mm -hmm. we're slowly seeing all of these parcels, um, you know, being sold for development yeah. purposes and, mm -hmm. Um, I remember when we were moving here, a realtor said, yeah, eight years ago, people probably wouldn't have thought to move to, I, I live in Round Rock, to, to yeah. move to Round Rock. And she's like, now it's completely changed. Um, and exactly what you said, she said, you know, now I'm one of 75 offers on a house yeah. and it'll go way above asking price. And so actually some people in our neighborhood asked, okay, well, people are selling these homes, but then where are they going? Because then they also will have to either buy a new home and be in that same boat of, you know, one of 50 offers. Mm -hmm. Or some people said they're just renting from multifamily or renting elsewhere um, just because they're trying, they're, they're taking advantage of the good seller's market. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, you have multifamily and then the multifamily rents obviously are rising too. So they sell their house next to you and they rent from you. Well, no, they don't rent from me, although I hope they do. Um, but <laughs> um, I should tell no, them. That's awesome. Yeah, say, so, hey, we've got a spot for you. We'll be flexible with the lease. It's just a little bit more. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I think the north side of Austin in Williamson County, where you are, has the lower inventory of the Austin area, actually. So Austin, we have 0.4 months of inventory. This is April of 2021. Williamson County has 0.2 months, so half. That's crazy. So roughly six days yes. of inventory, which is nuts. Um, but yeah, that's neither here nor there. So, you know, a question we like to ask our guests is just to tell us about your worst deal or lessons that you've learned doing a deal. I know everybody's learned some lessons of unforeseen things that have popped up, and I love for listeners to hear more about that. Yeah, so I think that some of the things that we have learned along the way is um, definitely during due diligence, get very reputable companies to come out and do your third-party checks. 
Um, and you know, if you're not sure, it's always good to get a second opinion during your due diligence, Mm -hmm. um, instead of just relying on one company. And we have done that now going forward. Um, but what that ends up happening is if you don't have a really good company coming out to do your due diligence, you may miss some things Mm -hmm. and then it, it affects your budget, right? Because during due diligence, you can, depending on what comes out, um, you can talk to the current seller at the time and potentially negotiate something, or, you know, you can also build that into your budget and say, okay, it may not, this may not happen in year one. It may happen in year two or year three, but now you know the, the lifetime or the lifespan of something. And so that was something that we learned is, you know, maybe just getting, if, if you see something or a vendor says this may be an issue or may not be an issue, it's always worth it to get a second opinion. Um, it's better to be extra thorough, um, is what I realized. So now when we go out to the property, I mean, we have a huge team that comes with us that has each of them have their specialties. Um, and we make sure that they like have their specialties. And then if we're, we're not exactly comfortable with their report or we have some questions and they're not able to answer it, you know, you always have like a backup team or you get it because you have 30 days, which, Seems like a short time, but it's a good amount of time to get things rolling um, and just making a couple of those phone calls. So I think that's probably the big thing. And over my time with just managing the assets, I would say like the biggest thing is just expect the unexpected to happen. Um, I have now in the beginning, uh, things would happen and I would maybe not know what to do. And I, I started making a list of all of those things that happened and I was able to fix all of them, but you forget in the moment when a new challenge uh, appears. And so it's just nice to see that, okay, you know what, like you're, you're able to pretty much get through anything. Um, You just have to like, just, just keep a running list. So you kind of know, okay, this happened on one property. Um, What did we do there? And then being able to leverage that for another property. And I think it's really important because things just happen all the time. It's, it's a, it's a commercial building and then you have residents living there. Right. So we've had small scale fires to big fires happen, you know, that's just, it's part of it, but it's knowing to contact the right people, getting things mitigated and then moving forward, right? And I think that's that's something that's really important for people to know. I think a lot of times, I'll just say this on podcasts, everybody will talk about all the rosy things, yeah. um, but there's stuff that happens every day or you know every other week and you just got to know, and then you just have to have the right team um, mm-hmm. and the right property management company to kind of help you um, walk through some of those things and get them addressed. Absolutely. No, I think... A good property manager is so important. You can run into Absolutely. so many issues that you don't even stress about at all when you have a great property manager. But it's been my experience that a poor property manager makes a lot of those your issues as the asset manager. Then you feel like I'm dealing with all this stuff. You are you feel like you're managing the property when you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the, the fire stuff, that's certainly not good. I've not had any properties catch on fire. So. <laughs> Tell us the story about that. So, I mean, we've had some small fires and, you know, you go through your insurance and it's fine. One of these fires actually happened while we were acquiring the property. Um, So we actually had just finished our due diligence. um, And then maybe a week later, the fires happened. And so that obviously 
creates a little bit of a wrench when, you know, you're still kind of working through the loan and, you know, they want to know all these things and that's obviously now a risk. Um, but then it's just working through the proper channels of the insurance and negotiating. And so we had sent all of that information. Um, and, you know, we were able to, we were able to fix all of it. That was actually a, a bigger fire because it affected more than one unit. Um, but again, you know, it's just knowing who to contact and how to kind of move through it and having, like you said, a good property management company. So they came on site, they had a construction arm, they were able to kind of tell us what it would cost. And they were actually fairly spot on with what the cost ended up being, um, which is important, right? So we knew exactly what we were going to get into when we took over the property. And then, you know, we started fixing it immediately. Awesome. Um, so that was during the due diligence of a property. Did that affect the the final price or did it affect the closing date at all? No. So it actually happened after due, the due diligence period ended. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. um, and you know, that, that's one of those things where it's like, just expect the unexpected, right? You yeah. can't plan for those types of situations to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, they just do just like, you know, the Texas, the freeze that happened, you yeah. know, it caused <laughs> so much damage. Um, and I think like, different parts of the area got, um, you know, uh, got affected more than others. And so, and our property in Austin lucked out compared to all the stories that I was hearing, it wasn't so bad, but yeah. So with due diligence, you know, we just worked through it. Um, we, we did get a credit and so we just kind of, we were able to move forward and it actually worked out to our advantage. Have you wanted to be part of GoBundance, the tribe of millionaires, but just haven't hit that millionaire status yet? Well, now you can, not even being a millionaire, by joining our new program, GoBundance Emerge. My name's Jamie Gruber, creator of GoBundance Emerge and member of the GoBundance community. And now you can join. GoBundance.com slash emerge. GoBundance.com slash emerge. Use code Jordan for $100 off this 12-week goal-setting program and mastermind that'll propel you to being a whole life millionaire. Okay, so you got a credit and you fixed this damage after closing or they started it before closing? They, they started it because, um, you know, there's a, from a, just from loan covenants, you know, there's a due diligence or, you know, you have a responsibility to take care of the property and not just let it be. So they did what they could. It was just more of now like fixing, fixing it and getting it back to where it needed to be. But all of the um, damage and all of that stuff. They gutted it for us and everything. So that, that kind of helped with what we were working with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we were able to fix it up. Awesome. Cool. Well, that's a cool story. Um, Pooja, what's one thing newer investors should know when they're getting into, let's say multifamily syndication. So maybe they have a family member in it. Um, I've actually had a few guests on here who are getting their, their adult children into multifamily syndication, what's one thing you would tell somebody when they're getting started in this business? So are they starting as like just investing into multifamily? They're starting as part of the GP, yeah. The GP. Okay, so actually starting to buy commercial property. So just just for the listeners, uh, LP's the limited partner. That would be like, you're the money. Uh, I am an investor in a few deals. I don't have any say in what goes on. I don't want any say in what goes on. So it works out well. (laughs) But when you're doing what Pooja does, you, you're actually finding, acquiring, and managing property, and you're part of the general partnership. So one thing I would say from the very beginning is make sure that you have a really good team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 
when I was in consulting, they would interview you, but then a good part of the interview was, can I sit with this person at the airport for eight hours because our flight is delayed? Um, And I think it's really important that when you're looking to build your team, that there's um, trust in your team and that not everybody on your team is exactly like you. And what I mean by that is just making sure that everybody has um, skill sets that will complement you for the team. So for example, if, you know, uh, the acquisitions part and the underwriting, that is not my expertise, nor do I want it to be, but yeah. there's someone on our team, my brother, and that's what he does. And he does it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, is there someone who is really good with investor relations and communications? Um, someone that can follow up and follow through with the investors who is really good at being organized and can run operations and understand all of that. And so just making sure that you have people that complement your team set, as well as having similar goals and alignments to what you want um, with the team. So I think that's really important with building like your inner team. And then as you think about building like your core set of teams, it's um, like we talked about earlier, having a really great property management company is huge. It will save you a lot of time and headache. Um, And so, you know, we, we love our property management company and what's nice is they complement and they fit with what we're looking for. And every, every property management company offers different things. Some people have a construction service. Some people don't, some people only focus on boutique properties. And so you got to find out what properties that your company is looking to acquire And then finding a property management company that fits those needs, I think is really important. And then building relationships with lenders and brokers. So you can kind of see a lot of it is based on your connections and your, and the people around you. Um, You know, you're, as you build relationships with the brokers, you'll start to get off market deals, which is great because now you're not competing with other people. And a lot of that, sometimes brokers will come to you because They've transacted with you in the past and it's been a very smooth transaction. So they've had a good experience and that goes a long way with um, sellers knowing that, okay, you know, this, our broker is saying that these people um, were great to trans transact with and they have a good reputation. So a lot of it will be relationship building. um, And that's kind of like the reputation, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, And just really, it, it comes down to people. I think the, it's it's a big world, but it's also very small. Oh yeah, and I love what you said about partners. So I have a business partner. Um, we didn't plan this, but he has completely different skill sets than I do. I'm great at getting the ball rolling, finding deals, talking to people. He's great at all the details. He stresses over the details so much, and I just don't even think about them. So yeah, yeah. you need to find some people, um, and then. My advice for everybody is put everything in writing. You know, it it gets Mm -hmm. real when you put it in writing and everybody signs it and it's a legally binding document. And there's these ways you can get out of the partnership, or this is what happens when you do this. Um, I've known my business partner since the fourth grade. Oh, wow. We still have an operating agreement in writing that a lawyer drew up and we both signed. Absolutely. I think. Operating agreements and documents like that are so, so important. Um, you know, 
I've known my brother forever and we yeah. still have one, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, you just, you, you just need to do that. And I'd say for a couple of reasons too, um, just having all of that stuff on paper, legally binding, having lawyers look at it. It's, it's good for both, both parties and all parties. Um, yeah. should anything ever happen, you can always revert back to it. Like I'll tell you at my company, you know, all of us, we work really well together. We enjoy working together. And we actually said it from the very beginning that, you know, this operating agreement is here. Hopefully it would never come to, you know, any of us needing to refer back to it. But if it does, let's make it so that it's easy and that, you know, we can discuss everything rationally. And that's really kind of what we set it up so that it hopefully would never come to that. But if it does, there it, it's pretty clear on what needs to happen. Awesome. And I think that's really important. Yeah, I think that's very important, no matter what. I mean, it, it has to be in writing. There has to be an understanding. We're going to do our best to figure this out, but this is what happens if it comes to this. Absolutely. So, cool stuff. Um, what is your best advice, Pooja, for people looking to get started investing in Austin? So you talked all about how this is such a hard market. Mm -hmm. um, there's all these things working against you, but there's also all these things working for Austin. Um, what would you say to somebody that wants to get started investing here? Maybe they're looking to be a passive investor. They just want to invest in your deals. But what would you talk to somebody about that? So if you're a passive investor and you're looking at, you know, Austin deals and operators, first look to see, you know, who are the operators in the area, mm -hmm. um, get to know them, get to know what their, um, you know, what their model looks like. And I would talk to quite a few people. Yeah. And then I would really just try to understand the assumptions and ask a lot of questions. Um, one thing that we're just seeing is this market is really tight. So I would just question if there's a really high pref amount, just to understand like, how are they truly getting to that? Because we've underwritten a lot of deals here and it's really hard to find one, but there's always going to be a gem Mm -hmm. And you just kind of have to figure that out. So I would ask a lot of questions. I would talk to more than one operator. And then that way you can start to see, you know, are these models similar? Are people trying to do the same thing? Are they completely wildly different? And if so, why? And they will be different. You can't compare apples to apples. Some people may have a short-term strategy. Some people may have a long-term strategy. And you just mm -hmm. have to understand, you know, what, what is it that they're doing? And does, it, does this, is this sound? Um, and, you know, I would say that, that you can use that approach probably for any market too that you're right. looking at is just look and um, talk to a few people. Don't just talk to one person. Sure. And uh, for those who don't know, when you refer to PREF, what are you referring to there? So typically when they offer PREF, um, you know, let's just say it's like 7%. What that basically means is it's a preferred return to the investors. Mm -hmm. None of this is ever guaranteed. Um, mm -hmm. But that's just a projection that they're making. And they would say, okay, in if you invest, let's say, to keep numbers simple, $100,000 mm -hmm. in year one, your preferred amount would be 7%. That would be $7,000. Mm -hmm. And that's the projection. And typically, if the 7% isn't paid, it's generally accrued. So it would happen before the GPs, the general partners, would um, receive anything. Sure. So... In your opinion, what is a high preferred return in Austin right now? So if somebody sees this number, what should they question? So I think right now, you know, if you're looking at like eight or nine percent, that's generally on the high side. Yeah. But again, you know, 
because we're when we're when we were modeling it out, it was a lot lower than that. Um, but then you just kind of have to ask, what is the model and, and how is that working? And so just to level set two, there's a lot of different types of loans that you can get. Um, you know, is someone putting in a lot of, is there one check writer maybe putting in a lot of money? And so then the raise is different. So that's what I'm saying. Um, each operator will run things differently. So you can't compare one, say one person's giving seven and you're like, well, why can't, you know, I've, I heard someone else is getting 10%. What's the difference? Sure. And you really just need to understand those things and see how that works. Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here. And I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast, wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing. And I'd be able to help more people. Thanks guys. Sure. And I think also understand how you're getting paid as an investor in one of these investments. So there's the preferred return, which you're talking about, which is the, the yearly return. Um, that's your cash on cash return paid out either monthly or quarterly, depending on who's doing it. And there's probably all more different kinds of ways than that. But then you're also typically paid upon the sale of the property. Mm-hmm. And that annualized return gets a lot higher then. So that 7% preferred return might turn into 14 at the end. And, and that's a pretty great return on your money. And I think people look at the stock market and they say, well, I'm making 8%. Well, you're only making 8%. You're, you're not getting an annualized return at the end. You don't get a big bump at the end. It's like saying, oh, well, this 7% is worse than my 8%. That's not really the case. It's that's the whole thing about real estate is yeah, you can make cash flow. And if you can get a seven or 8% return from cash flow, that's awesome. That's as good as you can get in the stock market. And then when you sell it, you've paid down the asset. It's appreciated. Maybe you've forced some appreciation and you get this other big bump. Um, that's one reason I love real estate. And I think as a passive investor, you need to look at that too. It's not just what's the cash on cash return, what's my preferred return. So what am I getting at the end? Um, yeah, and also there's tax savings, right? Because you get yeah, the negative yeah, K-1s with is. the depreciation, accelerated depreciation, cost seg, right? So taking all of that into account, let's say your prep is like 5 or 6%, and that might seem lower than what you're getting right now in the stock yep. market. Yep. But then you got to think about all the tax savings that you're getting Yeah. versus capital gains tax that you have with the stock market. So you got to really evaluate. I am a big believer in um, just diversify your investments. Don't put everything in one basket. I Mm -hmm. obviously am in real estate, but I still invest in the market. I think it's Mm -hmm. good to have um, a diversified portfolio. Sure. No, and me too. And then I think for myself, I have investments that are active that, that I do. So they're mm-hmm. active real estate investments that I both manage and have property management on. I invest with others like you. So that's com- almost completely passive doing the due diligence up front. But then once I place some money, I don't have to do a whole lot more. Um, I, I invest in the stock market too, but mostly ETFs and, and funds, but I don't want to learn or, or trade or do anything like that. But yeah, when you're looking at an investment like a passive investment, it's important to think, hey, I'm going to get that cash on cash return, that yearly preferred return. I'm also going to get that bump at the end. But yeah, those tax savings are great, especially mm-hmm. with the current tax code. I just Absolutely. got all my K-1s. And 
that's a pretty cool number to see when you've got all this depreciation. Absolutely. Is a write-off, um, especially as a real estate professional. That's a great write-off. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, no, if you're thinking about being a passive investor or a limited partner, make sure you understand all of the ways that you can benefit before you even look into it. Or if you're an investor in the stock market and thinking, I wanted to diversify, you know, look, there's all sorts of books out there um, that will help you learn more about passive investing. Do you have a favorite book about maybe passive investing or, or real estate? You know, I have read a couple books, but that's been a long time now. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so I don't remember the titles, but I do remember that they helped me. For me, honestly, a lot of it was just getting my feet wet um, you know, rolling up my sleeves and just kind of getting into it. But then for me, it was then talking to other people, um, sure. listening to different podcasts that would come up or just reading articles. Um, but a lot of it was just really helpful talking to people who are actually in the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just kind of how I, I'm more of a, you, you can read all you want, but I learn better if I'm actually, uh, doing it. Awesome. I think everybody's probably that way. Yeah. What's your favorite podcast you're listening to right now? Um, so I'm actually listening to uh, Jay Shetty's podcast on purpose. Mm -hmm. um, and so that has just been really helpful with, you know, all of the noise and everything that's happening. And, um, you know, he used to be a former monk and oh, he, wow. you know, he went through college. He didn't go to his college graduation ceremony and he's like, you know, I'm going to go be a monk. And so he was a monk for three right. years. And then the monks were telling him that he'd have a better um, impact if he kind of went back to society. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, that's exactly what he did. And he had some friends that were in these like high stress jobs and he started to kind of teach them some of the things that he's learned. And through that, I mean, he has just, been very influential. So he has this podcast that I find really helpful. Um, and then he has, a, he has a book that I'm also reading called Think Like a Monk. And so one of the takeaways that I recently was just listening, he was um, interviewing Ariana Huffington and she has this company Thrive. And she was just saying, you know, sometimes it's hard for you to do something, but just really peel it back into like the most macro level. So for example, she was saying, you know, people don't think that they have, they'll say, oh, well, I don't have 20 minutes to meditate. She's like, okay, do you have 10 minutes? And they're like, no, I don't have 10 minutes. She's like, okay, but do you have 60 seconds to just take a few deep breaths? She's like, everybody can find 60 seconds. And so she makes it, she was making the point that if you break it down so much that you can't say no, then it just becomes a part of you know, your process. And so you know, sometimes I think we have a hard time disengaging from work. And, you know, I work from home, so there's the workspace and the living space. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, do I take my phone and at a certain time say, okay, now I'm not going to look at it because I want to be with my family, decompose, you know, get myself ready to enjoy the evening and then, you know, be well rested for the next day. Well, maybe people can't do that. So she said, okay, can you leave your phone somewhere? Um, maybe on snooze. No, you can't do that. Okay. But can you leave it in the same room with you and put it on snooze? And so she's like, at some point you're going to say yes. Mm -hmm. And when that becomes a yes, okay, now you can do that. And then you can work your way up to where you want to meet your goal. So sometimes it's hard to achieve that goal that's here, but it's like, okay, mm -hmm. maybe just take like baby steps to get there. Um, mm -hmm. And I found that to be very powerful. Um, I think you can apply that in so many different ways. Awesome. And what's that book called again? It's Ariana Huffington, but what is her book? 
So this was just, he was interviewing her on his podcast oh, okay. on purpose. Yeah. But she works for a company called, she left the Huffington Post and is now at Thrive. Okay. All right. Um, Pucha, how can people get a hold of you? They want yep, to learn so more about your projects in Austin or multifamily syndication in general. Yep. So you can go to our website. It's www.jtcapitalgroup.com or you can email us at invest at jtcapitalgroup.com. Awesome. That's easy. <laughs> All right. Last question here. Probably the most important question we'll ask. What is your favorite restaurant in Austin? Ooh, I had a few, but the one that I really like um, is Soto. Have you been there? Soto. Um, sushi? Yeah, sushi. Yeah, I have. I have actually really like that place too. We've never ordered. We've always gone with another couple and they've ordered everything for us. And that's the way to go for us because they do an amazing job. <laughs> it was fantastic. We were out with some people that knew the chef and they said, okay, let's go, go here. And we went here and he was very hospitable, very welcoming. I'm a vegetarian. And I mean, he just created some of the most really cool things that even the non-vegetarians were looking over and being like, what is she getting? This stuff is amazing. <laughs> I mean, it just blew me away. It was very tasty, um, great, great food and great service. Awesome. And that's, again, I might be wrong here. That's up off 183. I think they have two, right? It, yep. They have two locations. One, I think, is in like closer to South Austin and then one okay. in Cedar Park. Yeah. I've not been to the South Austin one. I've always been to the Cedar Park. Yeah, but it's good. Awesome. Yep. So go try out Soto, um, S-O-T-O. They have two locations, amazing sushi. Um, also just great food. Yeah. So Pooja, thank you so much. Um, we will have this podcast out here in a couple of days, but guys, anything you need, reach out to Pooja. It's jtcapital.com. And it's jtcapitalgroup.com. Invest at jtcapitalgroup.com too, mm -hmm. please. All right. We'll have that in the show notes for everybody. So make sure to take a look. But thank you so much, Pooja. Thank you. It was great speaking with you. You too. <laughs> Bye.